Production made possible in part by Med Plus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students and physicians in training. For today, stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm your host, Imran Ali. Coming up on today's show, I'll sit down with Charity Tillman Dick, an American opera singer who continues to pursue her professional singing dreams, even after a double lung transplant that could have taken her voice and nearly took her life. I was I was in a coma for for thirty four days, and um, I flatlined twice, and my, my body was actually left left open. You could see my heart beating in, inside. It it was a, a rather dramatic thing to, to see and I you know I don't exactly know where I was but I, I did experience a linear dream wow. um, while I was out so that was that was an interesting adventure to be sure more from my fascinating conversation with double lung transplant survivor and professional opera singer Charity Tillman Dick right now on Radio Rounds Who would think that from the clutches of near death in the ICU, Charity Sunshine Tillman Dick, an American-born soprano, would end up performing in opera houses and concert halls across the United States, Europe, and Asia. Charity is a survivor of a double lung transplant, which she received at the Cleveland Clinic in September 2009. We spoke by phone with her to find out more about her experience, the importance of organ donation, and about the humanistic side of medicine. She continues to sing professionally and also shares her remarkable story of triumph, determination, and love for music. We're very happy to have you on Radio Rounds, um, Ms. Tillman Dick. And we, we, we know that you went through a harrowing experience. You actually you know, said you were undead. What did you mean by that when you said that you're undead? Well, I was, I was in a coma for for 34 days, and um, I flatlined twice, and my, my body was actually left left open. You could see my heart beating in, inside. It it was a, a rather dramatic thing to, to see, and I you know I don't exactly know where I was, but I, I did experience a linear dream right. um, while I was out. So that was that was an interesting adventure to be sure, but 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 I, I do think that there's there's a place that whether you call it our your, our mind or our, our mm-hmm. soul goes when when we we are neither when we are neither dead nor alive and right. um, so I hung out there for a while. It was it was very interesting. So you had pulmonary hypertension. When were you first diagnosed? When I was twenty, almost twenty one years old. I um, mean, in two thousand and four, mm-hmm. after I'd been studying in Europe for a year, mm-hmm. I'd had four kind of unexplained fainting episodes over the previous year. Right. Um, I'd gone to the doctor. They thought that it was low blood pressure, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. They told me to eat more salt, which more if salt. you have a patient who you, yeah, who you suspect of pulmonary thing. hypertension. <laughs> you do. Right. Don't tell them to eat more salt. <laughs> so um, advice to, to any young resident who might be listening to this program. Right. But, um, but yeah, it, it did not turn out to be low blood pressure. Oh, you yeah. needed an initial lung transplant, and then then after that, you rejected those lungs, and you needed a second one. 
Yeah, I um, after about a year, I, I got some sort of some sort of virus, and mm-hmm. um, and before I was able to schedule an appointment with right. my doctor, it had it had turned into full blown chronic rejection, and it's something oh, wow. to think about when you're dealing with transplant. You know, if mm-hmm. someone calls and says, "Oh, I'm sick," right. you probably want to see them immediately. Oh, so. definitely. So you actually began to reject your lungs while performing at Lincoln Center. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Well, I I was I I was in late stage chronic rejection mm. when I made my debut at Lincoln Center. You flatlined twice, thirteen hour surgery, and you were in a coma for what thirty four days now. Uh, just yeah. just that experience of being in the hospital for so long. Uh, what kind of emotions were going through your mind? Well, when when I actually woke up, um, I was just incredibly grateful to be alive. Right. I. Um, at some point, at some point when I was out, I realized that that whatever world I was in wasn't real, and I didn't know whether or not I was going to to go back to to the the world and the people that I knew and loved. But I, right. I certainly hoped that I would, and um, and so when when I realized that um, that I was awake and that I was alive, it, it was a Huge. There was just a huge sense of, of gratitude and relief. Um, after after that, I, I realized that someone had died because I, you know, my daughter had passed away five years, yes. not five years. At this point, it's been five years, but at that point, it was about a year earlier. Mm-hmm. And he'd been an organ donor when he died, and um, and so I knew that there was there was a family somewhere that was grieving, um, yeah. and and so there was kind of this. This process of grief and and, and that, that I went through for for the passing of, of whoever died, and then it was just really hard work um, yeah. with the physical there, therapy and everything. Well, and, and relearning how to breathe for me was the, the really challenging thing. Physical therapy, I, I loved. It was my it, it gave me something that I felt I could actually work on and do and make progress in. Breathing was incredibly difficult, and I actually gave another I gave another TED talk last year. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a breathing lesson, essentially saying the things oh. that I wish someone had told me when I was relearning how to breathe. And um, and there's this sense that you want to try to fill your lungs, but that's right. not what you're doing at all. You're really re- trying to retrain your diaphragm, right. and um, and so it's much more about abdominal strength than it is about anything else. Um, and and so I would. It took me almost. It took me over two months to breathe on my own, and. Right. Um, it's something we, take for, something we take for granted, you know, just breathing. Right? It's just, I mean, we don't, I know. We, don't, we don't realize how much, how important it is until we have problems. It's so true. You know, I think if anyone realized how important breathing is, it would be a singer. <laughs> you know, I, I spend much of my life and I spent much of my training learning how to breathe properly. And right. so I would think that out of anyone, I would be able to relearn more quickly and that I would be able to have a better grasp on how important it is, but it really was one of those things that until until I couldn't do it, I had no idea right. of, um, of how hard it is and how much your body actually does to, mm-hmm. to take every single breath. You know, and and so, um, so it's one of those things that gives you a, a, an added measure of gratitude 
every day because oh, you realize there's nothing else you can breathe and exactly. it's actually a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, love the, I love the statement that you made. Uh, we need to stop letting disease divorce us from our dreams. How yeah. important it is for patients not to get only you know healthy physically but to have that mental you know, like your doctor said, a happy patient is a healthy patient. To have that right. mental outlook uh, to help heal. I, I was in, incredibly fortunate to have two doctors, um, one pre-transplant, whose name is Reda Gurgis, who's in Michigan now, and one post-transplant, whose name is Marie Boudav, mm-hmm. um, who's at the Cleveland Clinic, um, who understand that we don't, we don't live for treatment. We're, we're treated to live. You know, right. the, the, the point of uh, being the patient isn't isn't to be a good patient. It's to live a, a meaningful life that you can be happy with. Exactly. It, who wants to be a patient if you're suicidal because of all <laughs> of the things you have to do? Um, so true. And, um, and I, I had doctors who really had a firm grasp on on the important quality of life. Now, I don't think that means that we need to be reckless. You know, I was incredibly fortunate that I didn't want to be a marathon runner. I wanted to be right. an opera singer. Right. And if I would have wanted to be a marathon runner, um, I think it would have been pretty important to reevaluate my priorities. Um, exactly. When, when you're diagnosed with, with disease, I think that, that on the one hand, it's incredibly important to make sure that you are doing things in your life that make you happy right. every day it's, it's so true. and that, that you're able, yeah, and that, that you're able to, to do things that you find meaningful and worthwhile and that, that add, that add value to the world and to your existence. Do you say you were staring at death and, and, you know, I just want to know how the physicians treated you. Sometimes in medical school, we say, oh, that's an interesting case in room 40, 45. Uh, you know, I know, Everybody's right? so technical about it. But I mean, that can also some, sometimes divorce the humanity of it all. I mean, how was your experience? And you've been in the hospital for a long time during this procedure. During yeah, this I've, spent, I've spent so much time in the hospital. And <laughs> I understand some people don't like it when doctors come in and they're like, you guys have to look at this case. You'll never see this again, which right, I got literally exactly. every time I was yes, in the hospital. I know. But, um, but, but in the same breath, like, I think it's important as patients be a team player, like to understand your limits and understand what you won't do and what's not acceptable. But in the same breath, I hope I and pray that doctors can learn from, from my disease Mm -hmm. and, and help, help others because of it. Because I I don't want anyone to have to go through what I've gone through, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and if, if they can, if they can gain knowledge that, that helps them to save lives, go for it, you know, like I'm, I'm happy to, to have medical students come in and, and look at my case and right. see what's going on. That's great as far as I'm concerned, but also be respectful. Like exactly. I remember there were a few times when, um, you know, I'm, I'm a young woman and most mm-hmm. of the people in my, in my wards were at least 20 or 30 years older than me. Right. Um, it, it, when you're in a, when you're in a cardiothoracic ward, there are a lot of, of older patients and, um, and sometimes Sometimes there would be residents who, it, it, you know, they they did not have appropriate interest in my case. I'll just put it oh. like that. Um, wow. That there there was there was nothing for them there, and so I think it's also important as a doctor to understand reasonable boundaries. One thing I noticed from my own experience working with my attending and other physicians is that I mean they talk we talk about the patient in front of the patient 
as if they're not there. And I find that very yeah. rude. I don't know if you had that experience as well and something we should maybe even change in the way we, you know, do things. Whenever, you know, I, I think I think that it, it's sometimes it's an old guard, new guard sort of lens. Um, I, I actually found, found residents were... Not, not, not always. There are many doctors who are exceptional and who are very willing to engage a patient. Right. Um, I think, I think residents are, are more attached to the humanity of the process. Not always, but frequently, um, because it's it's more real to them. You know, they're still in the beginning of their their careers, and um, and that's something that I hope they don't lose. But I think the more people you see die, and the more people you see struggle, and the more people that you that you um, watch through these experiences more you have to emotionally disconnect otherwise it's just impossible to be a doctor um it's it's too sad and it's too hard but um but and and i'm not i'm not exactly sure where the place is Mm -hmm. where that balance lies where you can attack when you where you can acknowledge the humanity of the situation and still still remain a hopeful person right it's, exactly. It's, it's very exactly. hard. It's very hard to do that, and yeah. it's something that yeah. uh, we struggle with a lot. Um, right. But I actually, you know, I like I like being there when doctors are talking about me as a patient. I like hearing what they have to say, what right. they think about my case, especially if they're willing to explain as they go along. That's very um, important because being a patient, yeah, it should be an educational process as well as you know, you, you shouldn't just feel like you're being acted upon. Um, and I think that's that's important for for the entire experience. You talked about this before. Is there a moment of guilt or you know slight sadness with the realization that the, your benefit came from another family's loss? Well, you know, death is a loss. It's it's a huge loss. You know, my in the year before my transplant, my grandfather and my father passed away, mm-hmm. and I think as um, especially the first time I felt a huge weight of sorrow for the person who was lost. Now, my second transplant, look, it was a much longer wait. I had been on the waiting list for over half the year, and oh, wow. um, and I was incredibly sick at that point. Um, I was on ECMO, and and I, I really didn't think I was going to live. And when I woke up, and the second time, it was only two days after the surgery, I was just overwhelmed by gratitude. And I think that the reactions... Um, are as, as varied as, as people um, mm-hmm. to the transplant, but but I, I can guarantee you that everyone who receives a transplant has has an enormous enormous amount of gratitude to the donor and their family. I think that that is universal. Here's a clip from Juve Vivre from your latest CD. Simply powerful, considering what you underwent. Did music help you heal? The thing that music really did for me was it was kind of the carrot out there. I didn't know, especially the first time, if um, if I really would ever sing again in the same way. And and I wanted it so desperately. You know, I'd wanted to be an opera singer from the time I was four, even though I studied politics. 
um, I, I, I did that. I, I studied politics and economics. I just didn't think it was practical to be a musician, which generally I would say it's not, but it's way it worked out pretty well for me. It, it, it was my first love, and there was nothing that, that I wanted to do more. So it, it was really a motivating factor in all of the physical therapy um, and all of the breathing exercises and everything that I was doing. And the first time... I did get back to singing and I sang many places and it was a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. I never really felt I got my full voice back. This time I do. And, um, and it's really exciting because, um, wow. you know, as I was waiting for the second transplant, I, I was pretty confident I was going to die. I know that sounds kind of oh weak, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I, mean, I have lots of friends who aren't, but, but I am a person who being faith is very important to me and I, I pray a lot and um and I consider myself both very spiritual and very religious and um and you know you don't have to be one to be the other. Right. But I consider myself both. And um and as I was waiting as I was really sick about in in November, um I kind of remember making a promise to God and telling him that if if I got a transplant that um that my first major project would be something to kind of tell him thank you and um, wow. and to, to show my gratitude. And so I'm really excited next year mm-hmm. or in 2014 we're coming out with a, with a CD that I recorded with members of the Cleveland Orchestra. And, oh, wonderful. Um, and it's, it's really, really, really old kind of ecumenical American hymns. Oh, and nice. um, and they're, they're beautiful and most of them haven't, there's some that everyone will know, but many of them haven't been set for over a hundred years. So, um, mm. it was really ex- an exciting process and, um, and it was really fun to do. So I'm excited about that. Charity, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's been a wonderful experience talking to you and learning more about your story. I really appreciate, thank really you. appreciate your time. That was Charity Tillman Dick, double lung transplant survivor who is now living her dream as a professional opera singer. For more of Charity's story, including videos of her TED Talks, samples of her work, and information about her upcoming album, please visit her website at charitysunshine.com. In the meantime, remember you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit our website. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All that information is at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. AMA Insurance is pleased to introduce an individual disability insurance plan called Essentials for MedPlus Advantage Participants. Through this plan, eligible graduating medical students have a special one-time opportunity to apply for high-quality individual disability insurance with no intrusive or time-consuming medical exams and only a few basic questions and with discounted premiums. For more information, visit medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is also partnered with the Student Doctor Network, online at studentdoctor.net. Financially your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available at studentdoctor.net.
Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Thank you for joining us, everyone. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Imran Ali, and one day I'll be your doctor. Oh, <laughs> oh,